Welcome to All About Blockchain. We're showcasing the work of scholars funded by the University Blockchain Research Initiative, Ubri. Ripple founded Ubri in 2018 with a 50 million philanthropic gift towards global university partners. Our goal is to accelerate understanding, innovation, and adoption in blockchain. And to find out more about this, you can go to ubri.ripple.com. This show gives a voice to those academics developing real world use cases that solve for today's challenges. My name's Lauren Weymouth, and I'll be your host. So Kate, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in blockchain in the first place, and then what drew you to the energy sector? So I'm currently a second year MBA student at Berkeley Haas, um, and I've been doing a lot of research over the last few years on applications of blockchain within the energy sector, and I guess applications of energy to blockchain as well kind of let's goes take both a ways. Tip. Let's take a step back. What what had you even get interested in blockchain or what maybe you could tell us the first time you even heard the word blockchain and how you went after it? Yeah. Um, so I guess that was the first time I ever heard of blockchain was probably the middle of 2017. So I was pretty late onto the train, really. Um when I heard some friends who had been investing in Bitcoin and got really excited by it. At that point, it wasn't really something that I thought I would see myself working in in the future. Um, but I noticed through other work that I was doing that it could be a solution to some of the problems I was seeing in other industries. And that's when I started thinking about blockchain as this potentially exciting technology that could not only be used in terms of Bitcoin and investments, but also to solve kind of real life problems in the industry today. So talk to us a little bit about some of the problems that you saw and um, how you followed through with the energy sector. Yeah, so I was I was working as a consultant for McKinsey in London at the time and working with a lot of energy companies, energy clients who were thinking about data coordination, privacy, and how this whole revolution around digitalization and automation was going to change their business model, which is when I kind of had a bit of a flag in my head about the way in which blockchain might help with some of those things, because it seemed to map to some of the things that my Bitcoin friends had been talking about. So that was when I started to look for my next opportunity after McKinsey, and somebody connected me with Jojo Hubbard, who is the co-founder of Electron in London. Um, again, at that time, I knew very little about blockchain, but it's was I really agreed with the... Um, but I thought it could have a really interesting potential um, and so wanted to learn more and spent the next six months getting fully immersed in what blockchain was as a technology and learning more and more about the applications in energy, but also starting to explore some of the applications outside of that. What's one example in the energy sector of where blockchain technology will make a difference? Oof, where to start? Um, I think the application which I'm most excited about taking off in the near future is kind of comes under the category of green attribute tracking, which I realize doesn't mean anything to a lot of people. Um, but fundamentally, what that means is we are in a world where people are trying to value and quantify the amount of renewable or sustainable energy that is being used. And so around the world, there has been loads of different types of credits and certificates that have sprung up to try and put a put a price or put a tag on that energy as being green, whether that's things like guarantees of origin in Europe or renewable energy certificates um, in the US, for example. 
Um, and there have been challenges historically with keeping track of those green attributes. So when a one megawatt hour of electricity is generated from a wind farm, you know that that energy is green. But you, at the end of the day, those electrons look exactly the same as any other electrons generated from a coal power plant. So what green attribute tracking is about is trying to measure and record the energy generated from different green sources and enable that attribute the cleanness of that energy to be bought and sold in a market. Because we're in a world where consumers care more and more about where their energy comes from and companies care more and more about uh, branding as a green business. So there is a there is a value on that green attribute. However, there have been problems in the past with double counting of these attributes since the electrons are just electrons, it's physics. Um, and so that's kind of the problem, I guess. And then the you'll kind of see there's a kind of few things about that which point to blockchain being a useful um, solution. Um, I think f- a few of those, the first is is this kind of needing to keep track of um, the energy from different sources and where it's going and who owns that attribute at any one time. The second is the fact that you have a huge number of different parties inputting that data. So you have hundreds of different companies generating electricity. You have hundreds of different companies trying to um, purchase that green energy. Um, And then the other is that it's incredibly important to maintain a transparent um, history of those transactions. So you need to know who owns what at any one time. And uh, members of the community have a desire to be able to look at that history and um, in a more kind of transparent way. Yeah, so I could I definitely see how it could be benefiting the energy companies. And then even as an end user, so for me, I'm a homeowner and I actually have solar powers um, uh, panels on my roof so that now putting that on the blockchain, does that mean that it's going to be more transparent, more trackable? The, uh, the company that's running it will be more efficient in the way it's delivering power to my house and then reporting upon it mm-hmm. and then charging me for it? Yeah. So it comes down to alignment of incentives fundamentally. Um, I think the way in which, um, and this kind of applies across the energy sector in general, um, but as we get more and more um, solar panels being built on roofs, we get more and more electric vehicles, which are a drain on the grid. Um, People are installing batteries in their own homes and businesses. These kind of all come under the umbrella of distributed energy resources. And those, it's very, it's very difficult for the organisations that manage the electricity grid to understand what energy is being needed, where and when. So exactly as you mentioned, when you when a consumer um, installs solar panels on their roof, there is an op- there can be an opportunity to, for example, sell that energy back to the grid or use that energy um, to power your internal electric vehicle, and therefore. Um, know that you are powering your electric vehicle with clean energy as opposed to energy from the grid, which is likely to be less than 100% clean. Got it. And I think that in the context of blockchain, there's some really interesting opportunities around improving that accounting mechanism and aligning the incentives so that 
um, investments are made in the technologies that have the greatest impact on our energy transition. Um, all right. So we can hear the incentives. We can hear you know, the yeah. value proposition in doing this, uh, both for companies and end users. Um, what are some of the challenges with putting this together or for achieving widespread adoption? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the biggest challenges, and this isn't unique to energy and blockchain, um, but the regulatory environment is, I think, always a challenge when you're looking at implementing new solutions, mm-hmm. um, particularly with something like the energy sector where you can't just kind of turn it off and then turn it on again, given how critical energy is to our everyday lives. Um, so that's a that's a huge piece is like keeping regulators up to date and making sure we're able to kind of push the boundaries and make these changes while while still um, keeping our system as safe and secure as possible. Mm. So in your studies, have you, or, or I know you've been delivering talks and papers on this subject matter, have you been finding others that are as keen and excited about it as you are? Um, and how has the audience been receiving um, your thought leadership in, on this sector? So... <sighs> I have a two-part question there. <laughs> so the the it's it's funny because the first question I often get from people um, who are less familiar with the industry is about the energy consumption of blockchain um, and other such as Bitcoin and other proof-of-work blockchains. Um, so I have to explain that I, although I recognise that is a challenge, it's it's something I know very little about. Um, the blockchains which make most sense for use within the energy sector tend to use proof of authority or other less energy intensive con- um, consensus mechanisms. So overall, I've been very excited by how many people have started conversations around this topic after I mention it. Um, I think both at conferences that I've had the opportunity to speak at through Ripple and others, um, and then just speaking to people at kind of other conferences as well, such as New York Blockchain Week, which I was able to attend due to the Ubi funding. Um, there's a lot of excitement around energy and blockchain. Um, and I think increasingly people are realizing that this is a this is a sector that where there's a lot of opportunity. So um, is this something that you're going to be continuing to go into after you graduate? Absolutely. As part of over the last year and a half, um, I've been working with the Blockchain at Berkeley group um, on, UC, on the UC Berkeley campus. Um, and I'm continuously impressed by how much these undergrad computer science students know about absolutely everything. Um, it's been amazing to work with them so closely. Last semester, we did a project with uh, BMW and PG&E where we were working together um, to build a proof of concept for tracking low-carbon fuel standard credits, which is one example of those green attributes um, I was mentioning earlier. So we worked with them over a course of 10 to 12 weeks where we kind of went through a design phase, we did some scoping, and then as a team we built out a proof of concept platform which would help to test some of the hypotheses about whether the use case would work and what the real benefits of blockchain would be. And that was an incredible eye-opening project for me, um, mainly because it was an awesome insight into how huge companies like PG&E and BMW are thinking about blockchain and the kind of challenges and risks that they're thinking about around implementing these solutions. 
Well, that sounds super fun. The fact that, you know, these big companies are hiring students to do research in like a, a a quarter of the year. So you said three months, I think. Yeah. Um, do you have any follow-up from them? Do you know if BMW or PG&E used your analysis? So it's something that I know they're taking forward and thinking about more as a use case. Um, it's We were able to kind of raise a lot of the conversations that it was realized needed to be had within the organization around, you know, can these companies hold cryptocurrencies? Are they able to... Um, take on some of the the risks of more real-time payments? And what is the real business model around monetization when it's a shared open source platform in a lot of cases? So by raising those questions, I think it was really great to kind of get the conversations going. Um, And I know that those are are still ongoing. So I'm really excited to see where it's going to end up. That's awesome. So up and beyond your work in the energy sector, how else are you involved in blockchain on campus? Getting people involved, getting people involved in blockchain who haven't heard about it before is is something I'm really excited and passionate about. I remember so clearly, just you know, three and a half years ago, what it felt like to know nothing about the industry. Um, so wherever possible, I try and do as I try and you know help share the enthusiasm and teach other people about blockchain. Um, for example, this semester, myself and a classmate um, ran a course within the MBA program um, called Blockchain for Enterprise. Um, um, and thank you, Ripple, for the funding for that course, um, we, where we had speakers come in from a broad range of industries, um, alumni from the business school talking about use cases. We had a lot of the blockchain at Berkeley um, computer scientists, developers talk about the more technical aspects of the technology. And our goal with that course was to give MBA students who don't necessarily want to work for a blockchain company, but are likely to be working for companies that have a have an opinion on blockchain and are likely to be impacted by the changes. Um, so we had, yeah, so we ran that session for eight weeks and it's been really awesome now you know, a semester later that I'm getting emails from those students for advice, interviewing with blockchain companies, interviewing with companies where they're being asked about the impact of blockchain and they're using a lot of the knowledge from that course, which is which is so great to hear. And I think I also heard that you were part of an accelerator course. Can you tell us about some of the startups that you saw coming through there? Yeah, so the um, Berkeley Blockchain Accelerator was started just a year ago now, I think, um, in a, it, as a collaboration between Blockchain at Berkeley, the Haas Business School, um, and the Sotaja Center for Entrepreneurship. And that's been, you know, I think the, the accelerator has been completely overwhelmed by the number of applications. There's been a huge interest in companies trying to get access to the blockchain expertise in the Bay Area. Um, and it's amazing that UC Berkeley is so much at the center of that. So you mentioned earlier the problem of the double count. Who exactly does the double count hurt? Is it the energy company? Is it the end consumer? And how does what properties of blockchain that solve for that double counting mm-hmm. um, are at work? It's a good question. I, uh, it's actually, I'd say, both of those. So by reducing the problem of double counting, you increase the value of the green attributes to both the consumer and the energy companies. So by making sure that each 
the properties are valued correctly, um, you can ensure that the right the right price is put on those. And that increases the reassurance to customers and so both end user customers like yourself purchasing home energy, but then also the generators selling that energy that the attributes are being counted for, accounted for properly. And so to the second part of that question around the properties of blockchain, um, it kind of comes down to the immutability point um, whereby if any changes are made to um, previous transactions in the blockchain, everyone in the network knows about it um, immediately. So no one can change data on the blockchain without everyone knowing about it. That's what you mean when you say immutable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the second property being... Um, is it transparency? I mean, it sounds like not only is it immutable, but it's it gives more people a window into seeing what's what. Yeah. I feel like I get a statement in the mail and it has a record of the wattage or the voltage or the usage. I don't really quite understand what I'm using on the regular grid and what I'm getting free from my solar. And it's there's discrepancies sometimes mm-hmm. and it's... Transparency is definitely a huge point um, of benefit of blockchain um, in these use cases. Um, I think... Yeah, exactly. To your point, there's a huge, um, there's a few huge gap between what customers know and see, and what the industry and what's actually going on behind those closed doors. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? I just wonder. I mean, I just take for granted that this is controlled by the energy sector, whether it's, I mean, in different states or countries, whether it's government or it's private enterprise. But I, I don't really have a say in it, and I really just get it. I have to use it. I don't have a choice. I get a statement. I have to pay it. Um, is this blockchain technology putting more control in my hands as a consumer in the sense that it's more transparent, I have more information, and, and maybe I can interact in a, in a new way? Is that something that we can look forward to? Totally. I think there's giving consumers more choice and transparency over where their energy is coming from is definitely um, an an end goal of these sorts of technologies. And that's definitely something which a lot of blockchain and energy companies are working towards. Was the PG&E project a sustainability project? Were they looking at you to analyze uh, green energy going forward? And how exactly was that working? So we were, we were looking at the, so the kind of credit that we were looking at um, is kind of at that intersection of energy and mobility. And over time, with the proliferation of electric vehicles, we're seeing those sectors merge more and more. And so um, credits and regulations that used to be distinct for energy and used to be distinct for mobility are increasingly overlapping. So there's more and more of a need for more different types of companies to work together and coordinate data from different sources. And that was kind of where our project landed, working between um, energy and mobility with the PG&E angle and the BMW angle. Oh, wow. Okay, now I'm getting it. I didn't realize mobility meant, like mobility is now a sector of yeah. self-driving cars type of thing or or electric cars that are using the grid to power movement. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we're looking at electric vehicles, 
um, charging from the grid and finding ways in which you can optimize those charging patterns so that they draw from the grid when the energy is the most green, for example. Um, and there are there are multiple companies using blockchain to try and solve that problem as well, um, like Wirelane and Share and Charge, just to, to name a few. And there's a consortium called the Open Mobility uh, Blockchain Initiative, um, Mobility Open Blockchain Initiative, <coughs> Mobility Open Blockchain Initiative, Moby. Moby. Great. And they're looking at. Um, helping all of these different um, automotive companies and other types of mobility companies to work together and define standards that um, can enable blockchain to be used in a way that benefits all those different parties. So this is all kind of on the back end. It's not like I'm driving an electric vehicle and I pull into my grocery store and plug in. I'm not going to see anything different. Blockchain is really what's powering the back end. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I think that they're the kind of applications that I'm most excited about um, is where blockchain is offering these key benefits and has key attributes which enable that application. But you're not needing to sit there and program um, Ethereum smart contracts in Solidity in order to use the application. On the On the front side, it looks just like any other app. So what's currently happening in the energy space? What are companies doing? So, so I like to think of it around six kind of different buckets of use cases. Um, and I'll, I can kind of go through each of those in turn and explain a little bit about what the various companies and projects across the energy sector see as the value proposition for blockchain. Um, the first of these is renewables development financing. Um, so it's in general, it's incredibly complicated to get the financing in place to be able to make the huge capital outlay required to build a new solar or wind farm, for example. Um, so there are companies like Banyan Infrastructure or All Infra who are using blockchain to accelerate that financing process, using smart contracts to simplify the contracts and also automate that contract adherence on the back end. Okay, so just let me make sure I understand this. So it's hard for them to get financing. They've got this great technology where they're using solar or wind power, but they're and they're trying to develop their companies doing this to create green energy, but they're having trouble sourcing the finance. But using blockchain smart contracts, they're able to attract more financing? Yeah, so it's both a benefit of um, simplifying the contracts around allowing investors to invest in these new huge capital infrastructure projects and then mitigating the credit risk associated with those investments because you can enable block, through blockchain and in some cases tokenizing those assets, you can enable a fractional ownership of the um, solar farm, for example. So you know exactly who owns what part of the investment and that enables the uh, revenue streams from that investment to be um, more quickly returned to the investors. So the smart contracts almost organize it and keep track of it for everyone. And it sounds like it also maybe removes the middlemen. Like, so do you still need lawyers? Do you still need accountants? Yeah, I think, projects? I think that's a that's a great question. And it's definitely like an ongoing discussion. Um I think lawyers are always going to be needed because there's never going to be a smart contract that takes into account every single possibility. But it definitely helps with um, automating some of the more um, the simple clauses within those contracts. Got it. I think so then the second use case um, 
which I think is super interesting, is using blockchain for physical trade management um, for wholesale energy trading. So this is your companies like um, Shell and BP and the uh, large traditional energy companies who are looking at using blockchain to disintermediate brokers and increase the speed of trade confirmation for wholesale energy trading. So you mean where we buy our fuel? Um, Where your energy supplier buys their fuel from. Got it. So it's a step up from the consumer that kind of happens on the back end, um, like any sort of commodity trading. Um, Yeah. Okay. And there are are consortiums. There's a consortia called uh, VACT and other companies like Ponton are also working on uh, that sort of use case to help um, eliminate... The, so yeah, reduce, increase the speed of trade confirmation um, and also help to reduce the resource intensity of the reconciliation process. Now, hasn't the, like, the source of wholesale energy and fuel been the cause of wars? Is this, now you're saying that blockchain can actually rid um, multilateral you know, disagreements and, and conflict? It's certainly not a silver bullet. Um, I think there are benefits to using blockchain to reduce, um, to help speed up the financial transaction. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, challenges and particularly those sort of um, intergovernmental uh, discussions, which are never going to go away. Um, The third... So the third, the third use case um, is around the uh, optimization of local energy um, and ancillary services markets. So that's um, a fancy way of saying um, helping more energy that's generated in one area also be sold in that same area. So um, bringing energy uh, buyers and sellers, the supply and demand, and making that more of a local market. There are using a distributed blockchain for those applications um, can be useful because it can allow more smaller players to uh, enter the market um, by sort of lowering those barriers to entry. Can you give us an example of that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like when you said local markets, I started yeah. thinking about. I spent a, some substantial time in Cape Town, and there was a lot of wind energy being produced there. But what they weren't using the energy they were producing; they were selling it to other African countries. So you're talking about almost um, keeping it local, producing it local, selling it local, and creating a system whereby the buyers and sellers can do that. Yeah, so I think particularly when you think about things like um, transmission constraints. So um, there are so there are parts of the world where you know you can't send an unlimited amount of energy from place A to place B. There is a maximum capacity that that transmission line can uh, transmit. Therefore, there is a benefit from in those grid constraint scenarios. There's a benefit to generating and then using the energy locally within one kind of constraint area. Also, you couple with that the fact that when you do transmit energy over long distances, there are losses incurred. Mm -hmm. Um, Granted, they don't tend to be huge on the scale, but if you transmit large amounts of energy, large distances, it does add up. Okay. The fourth application of blockchain and energy um, is around the coordination of this, these distributed energy resources. So we know that we've got more and more of these assets being added to the grid from solar panels on roofs, electric vehicles in garages, batteries, um, and that makes it harder for the dis- 
distribution service operators and other system operators to keep the network in balance, since we know that for energy, supply and demand need to be managed at every second of every day. Um, So smart contracts can be used to bring transparency to the properties of these assets um, and such as the services that they can provide and when they can provide them. So it's another example of blockchain being a more efficient way of storing the data. Yeah, and, and agreeing in advance what that asset can do and where it is and what markets it can bid into, for example. Okay. The fifth application um, is around blockchain for improving home energy efficiency. So there are companies looking at building uh, bots that use blockchain and can automate electricity purchases to help optimize your own residential energy consumption. The goal of those sorts of applications is to make it cheaper for the end end customers um, by simplifying the back-end processes for retailers um, and automating the payments. So that reduces credit risk. There's a significant problem in a lot of countries around the world with electricity bills going unpaid for many months. And that is a risk that the uh, retailer needs to often take on by you can use uh, blockchain-based payments to reduce that that risk and ultimately uh, make it cheaper for the end users. So they don't just shut your power off if you don't pay your bill in other countries? (laughs) (laughs) Not all countries have the ability to do that. (laughs) I'm sure they would if they could. Got it. And where does this bot sit? I heard you say there's a a bot. Where does that go? So um, some companies are using like a physical machine that you have in your house. Um, And in other cases, it's more of a um, community level. The last use case for blockchain in the energy sector, um, which I also think is the most accessible application, um, is this concept of green attribute tracking. So there are several different types of credit and incentives for low carbon generation around the world. Um, Things like renewable energy certificates, um, the low carbon fuel standard, guarantees of origin. Um, These credits represent the green attribute of that energy. Um, And in order for those credits that represent green attributes to have value, it's critical that there is no double counting. So you also, and, and, and you also need to have transparency over credit ownership. So this is where blockchain can play a key role in enabling an effective system through ownership transparency and eliminating this double counting risk. How long do you think before all of these attributes or all these use cases gain traction or actually come to be? That's a great question. I know, so around the world at the moment, there are hundreds of um, proof of concepts and projects using blockchain uh, for real world applications. Um, I think the real tipping point is going to be when a lot of these projects connect together um, and you're able to see the benefits at a wider scale across the system. For that, for that to happen, there are so many challenges that need to be overcome around regulation and market dynamics, um, risk controls. I think it'll. I think it'll be. I'd, I'm hesitant. Hesitant to put a number on it, but I'd say. I'd say it will be you know, five to ten years at least. 
Kate, I'm sure it's really hard to put a number on momentum and when this is all really going to pick up, but it it's a tribute to you and other scholars like you who are actively working on your research, on looking at what's working and breaking down the barriers to what's not working, what else needs to be figured out, and working with industry to help solve for these problems and going ahead and helping to educate your fellow mates at school, making sure more and more people understand uh, what blockchain is and what it could be used for. All right, so where do we want to send people to find out more about this? I think a really great place to start um, is the Blockchain at Berkeley website. It's an incredible resource for uh, basic information. Um, All of the um, education classes that are run through the club are available to anyone externally. So that's an awesome place to start. I think for ongoing news and updates, I really like uh, the chain letter, which is from the MIT um, group. And they kind of send out weekly, fortnightly um, emails with kind of updates of what's going on in blockchain. I find that really helpful. Um, The um, kind of Ripple website and the Ubri extranet is a great resource to learn about the other research going on in the space. Um, and I think finally, I'd just say, just try and get out there and talk to as many people as possible. There are no stupid questions. Like I love being asked, um, everything and anything about blockchain. And I know most people in the industry feel exactly the same way, um, and really appreciate, um, people with less experience engaging in that conversation. So just, just get out there and talk to people. And it's easy now, right? Because there's practically a conference Definitely going off on every college, university campus, every city's got their own blockchain type um, conference. So there's a lot of resources out there for you. Thank you so much for being a part of the University Blockchain Research Initiative. Thanks so much. It's been awesome to be here.